just a reminder that uh, if you or anybody that you know of that is interested in water baptism or uh, if you have children that you want to have dedicated, we're going to be having that. Forget the date. Anyway, it's on the sheets in the back. I think it's in a couple of weeks. And so if you're interested in that, make sure that you sign up for that. And if you know anybody else that's interested, um, remind them so that uh, they get signed up as well. Praise the Lord. Well, last week we started our study of uh, Colossians. And uh, we got all the way through the first two verses. And, uh, you know, the <clears throat> I've been you know, working ahead so I get some kind of an idea as to how this is going to go. And, and, and I just don't want to scare you out too much because it looks like the first chapter is going to take us about six weeks. Uh, but then after that, it's going to speed up a whole lot. But, you know, you know and, I, and I say that because chapter one in Colossians has so much in it. I mean, it's probably... You know, if you take one chapter out of Scripture in the New Testament, it probably carries more doctrinal significance than almost any other uh, chapter in the Scriptures. And so, uh, we'll, so don't get worried because we just get through a few um, chapters a week. And after all, you know, even if it takes us the whole year to get through Colossians, that's okay. But it won't it won't take that long. But I. You know, just um, these, these fir this first chapter is going to take a while. And so um, <clears throat> let's go ahead and get started. We'll start reading where uh, we began last week in Colossians 1.1. 1, 1, and it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father, in Lord Jesus Christ. And so then we're going to pick up there. And uh, when we get into the third and the fourth verse, uh, it, it's, it's the prayer that, that Paul was praying. Actually, it's from verse 3 to verse 14. It's kind of a prayer that he's been praying. And uh, it, it, we see how he prayed fervently um, for these people in Colossae. And what's interesting about it is um, he really didn't even know these people. He had never been there. But yet he, it, it tells us that he, he, he prayed for them. Um, he, he lifts up in this portion of Scripture, um, Epaphrius, the pastor, and uh, emphasizes the, the significance of him in their lives because he was, uh, he was a man that uh, continued to um, teach the Scriptures, stayed in the Scriptures. Later on, we'll be seeing how he talks to him about staying uh, close to the, the truths that he brought forth to them. And, uh, you know, one of the things that we see in this portion of Scripture is how... Um, you know, Paul had kind of the responsibility laid on him to, in a sense, finish writing the scriptures. That was one of his assignments. And uh, he, he took um, 
he took that as a tremendous burden upon him so that he did it accurately. But one of the things that he encouraged them in with their pastor was that, you know, he, he, he taught the, those basic truths that Paul brought along. And one of the things about revelation, because I believe that uh, we receive progressive revelation. In other words, we don't ever have to worry about being bored, being a Christian, uh, because God will always show us something more, but it's always going to be based on the Word of God. It's never going to be taken outside of the Word of God. And the other thing about it is we go from grace to grace or from glory to glory. In other words, it, it always builds upon existing truth. You know, coming out of the denomination that I, that I came out of, you know, at, at first, you know, I was really frustrated because I felt like I hadn't been taught all those years what I, what I should have been taught. Uh, and, and so, you know, there's the tendency then to use the old expression, you, th you throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know, but, but the thing that I began to realize was the truths that God had given me, you know, when I, when I got saved. Really what I was able to do is to begin to build upon truth that I already had. You know, and over the years, you know, because one of the first teachers after I, you know, really got turned on to the Word of God was uh, Brother Hagen. It took me about five years to find his teachings, but once I did, you know, I really saturated myself with his teachings and so forth. And over the years, one of the things that I've seen is that individuals, when they found new truth, oftentimes what they did was they've, they've forsaken their foundations because they felt they, they, you know, this is different, and so I've got to forsake that and go with something new. But the truth of the matter is, is what God wants to do is he wants to, he wants to build upon the truth that we already have. And so anytime you hear a truth that, that totally goes contrary um, to, you know, what, what you've heard in being saved and in getting started in your walk, if it's totally contrary or totally different from that, and you, you've got to forsake all that to accept that, then you need to be very careful because you're, you're probably heading for error. You know, I was talking with a pastor friend just yesterday. We had our ministerial meeting, and, and he grabbed me aside afterwards because he was just so distressed because the the denomination um, that he was a part of had just um, um, elected as their bishop um, a, a lesbian. And, and, and what distressed him, it, it, it isn't that, you know, we don't love gays. It's just that, you know, it's, it goes contrary to biblical standard. And so what we'd have to do is we have to set aside everything that we'd, we'd heard and everything that we'd believed up until this point. You know, and so we talked about the fact how, you know, we're to, we're to love everybody. But, you know, to me, you know, and I always go back to this because I believe that, um, Dick Cheney 
not bringing in politics here, I'm just using him as an example. But he made a, uh, just to me, just a tremendous statement back uh, when he and Bush number two were running uh, the, la the second time. And, and he was in an interview and the interviewer called him a hypocrite. And he said, well, why, why, do you, why do you call me a hypocrite? And he says, well, you're, you're, you're campaigning against and you're, you're against gay marriage and so forth, but yet your daughter is a lesbian. And he says, why am I a hypocrite? He said, she's my daughter. She will always be my daughter. I will always love her. That doesn't mean I necessarily approve of her lifestyle or behavior, but I always love her. And so, you know, for us to take a biblical position doesn't mean that we don't love somebody. It means we may not approve of behavior or lifestyle, but as born-again believers, we really don't have a choice in the matter. We must accept biblical principle. And so anyway, Paul is talking, I don't know how I got off on that, but we did. You know, and that's why it's going to take three months to get through this series. <clears throat> you know, but, but, but the point is, you know, what we need to be known by is love. But Love doesn't mean that we, we compromise our position or the position that God has demonstrated to us in our lives. And so, let's get started with Paul's prayer. And he begins with, with thanksgiving in, in verse 3. And he says, We give thanks to God, <clears throat> to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. And so, in your notes... Um, what I have is uh, more of a literal translation of that portion of Scripture. And then when you see a word in italics, um, that's the Greek word, you know, and I put that in there just to impress you, <laughs> to, let, to let you know that I know what the Greek word actually is. I may not always be able to pronounce it, but I'll give it an effort because you won't know the difference anyway. So, uh, and so he, he, he says, we give thanks, ecclesial, uh, to be grateful or to express gratitude. That's what he's talking about, to be grateful or to express gratitude. So we give thanks to God. And then, it, then in my translation, which is the New King James Version, it says God and Father. But in the Greek, um, there is no and. And so really what it's saying is, we give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so God is his Father. And uh, all thanks goes to him. And uh, we see this, you know, I, again, I, I've thrown a lot of scriptures in and so forth, and you won't, we won't be reading them all. Um, but I just want to encourage you to keep the notes and, and from time to time, you know, go through it and, and you can look at a particular subject and there's all kinds of scriptures there that can help you. But in John 16, 23, it says, And in that day you will ask me nothing. Most 
Assuredly, I say to you, uh, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he'll give it to you. And so we pray to the Father, God the Father, not God and the Father. We pray to God the Father in Jesus' name, and he says that he always hears us. And then it goes on, and again in the literal it says praying, proskum kolomai, and it means a face-to-face -face petition. In other words, um, this is intimate. And so Paul's saying, when I, when I pray to the Father on your behalf, in the name of Jesus, I'm face-to-face -face with him. In other words, it's not something that I'm just flippantly throwing out there. And I think oftentimes with our prayers, we're, you know, we're, we're a little bit flippant about it. You know, probably not y'all, but I can get that way. You know, I, I believe, I still believe that we're supposed to pray at meals. And so um, I sit down and, you know, I pray real quick so I can start eating my bar. And then when I'm halfway through it, I'm thinking, did I really pray? Yeah, because I really can't remember praying because I wasn't face to face. I was just looking at my bar. You know, and why would you get excited about a bar in the first place? But anyway, you know, after you had, anyway, we won't go on from there. But, but so anyway, that's what he's talking about, having a face-to-face -face prayer. In other words, he's, he's being serious about praying for these people that he's never met. Think about that. He's never met these folk. And so he says, praying always, patone, at all times for you. And so if he's praying for him at all times, what that's telling us is he's praying face-to-face -face with God. Um, if he's praying at all times, obviously he's, he's praying in, uh, in tongues and he's praying with his understanding as well. Um, and, and really, one of the most purest forms of intercession is when you're praying for somebody you don't know. You know, because there's, there's no real emotion involved in it other, where, other than um, just simply being directed and led by the Holy Spirit. And so here Paul is, he's praying face to face without ceasing for these, these individuals that he's, that he's never met uh, because he, he cares for them. And then we go on into the fourth verse and he says, since we heard of your faith, in Christ Jesus and your love for all the saints. Since we heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, in other words, since we've heard of your salvation. The reason that he heard of their salvation was because of Epaphedrus, their pastor, who had uh, met with Paul and shared what was going on. Um, since we heard of your faith, since we heard of your salvation, and your love, <clears throat> and this word love there is the word agape. You know, as most of you know, if not all of you, in the Greek, um, there's four different words for love. Uh, in English, you know, we love our wife, we love our car, we love our dog, we love hot dogs. You know, so everything's on the same plane. We just, we just love everything. You know, but, but when you get into the into the Greek, there's four different words because it, it gives you 
a better understanding of each of the words. There's, um, there's strogos, which is more of family love, familiar love. Um, there's phileho, which is friendship. There's eros, where we get the word erotic from. It's, you know, sexual behavior and so forth. And then there's agape, which is the God kind of love. And so if you're reading through the Greek, you, you get a very clear understanding of what that love is actually talking about. And so when we're talking about agape love, and that's the word that's being used here, is agape. It's talking about a love that's led by the Holy Spirit. It's a sacrificial love. John 3.16, God so agaped the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's talking about sacrifice. And so, um, you know, we're to agape one another. Um, we're not to use and abuse one another. We're to make sacrifice for one another. And I, I believe as, as Christians, we, we grow into that. And, but we grow into it under the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so um, agape, divine love from the Holy Spirit, which you have for all the saints. And so it's not just for a few, but they have um, this love for everyone. In other words, whether they, they be good or bad, they're not basing their love on, on behavior. They're, they're basing um, their love on the fact that um, because God first agape, loved us, we're able to agape one another. You know, but the key there is, you know, I, I think there's a lot of believers that have never come to the place where they've truly experienced or come to understand the love of God. And, and, and because they're, they identify love with some type of an experience that they've had here on the earth you know, through another human or whatever it may be. But, you know, the, the love that God and I, that God has for us, we can't, we can't compare it to anything that man does. You know, because uh, man is incapable of loving us the way that God loves, totally, uns, you know, sacrificially. We see it periodically. We, we hear stories of people, and maybe you've even experienced it in your life towards you or towards somebody else where it's, you know, it's sacrificial. Um, but oftentimes what we, what, how we define love is totally different from the way that, that God defines love. And, and so he's talking about how he loves all the saints. Uh, I'm going to jump ahead here for just a moment. We'll hit this later on again. But when um, Epaphras came to see Paul, it says, as you also learn from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant who is faithful, a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. In other words, Paul knew that they, they loved one another because their pastor talked about how they loved one another. You know, what's interesting about, about this is that you know, we, we talked about last week how one of the issues that they were dealing with in, in the Colossian church was um, there was this Gnosticism that was trying to rise up within the body. And, and, uh, and that, you know, that's not a, not a good thing. You know, but 
Well, what we begin to see here is that when Epaphras came and spoke to Paul, he, he made him aware of that. But the thing that he emphasized more than anything else was, was the positive, the good elements about the church there. And, and again, I think sometimes in the, the culture and the society that we live in, um, we, we lose sight of that. We have a tendency to focus on the, the negative rather than focusing on the positive. We, we have a tendency to see um, the bad in somebody's life rather than focus on the good that's in somebody's life. You know, and you know, I really believe that, you know, I heard somebody, well, I know what I heard from. Um, Cindy had said uh, that kind of her, her motto or whatever for downstairs this year was not what would Jesus do, but what did Jesus do? I think that's pretty awesome. In fact, that's revolutionary. You know, because we look at it from the standpoint, what would Jesus do? Well, I can't do that apart from him. But when I begin to recognize what Jesus did and that he is living on the inside of me and the Holy Spirit is living on the inside of me to empower me to fulfill, to fulfill the plan and purpose of God. If Jesus did it, I can do it. Thank you for that rousing amen. You know, but it's, but it's true just the same. And so, so Paul begins to, uh, his intense prayer for them when they were walking in love towards one another. You know, this, this, this portion of scripture just kind of uh, blows me away because it's, as a believer, it should totally revolutionize our thinking. Because Paul here is talking about, since he heard of their faith in the Lord Jesus, in other words, since he heard of their salvation and their love for all the saints, which indicates a level of maturity. Would you agree with that? Well, it doesn't matter whether you agree with it or not. That's just how it is. <laughs> you know, but, but, but since you've heard of his salvation and he's heard of their maturity, maturity, he began to pray for them without ceasing. Now, the tendency in the church is when we get somebody saved, and especially when we get them through that initial shock of being saved, you're on your own. But I think Paul knew something. I think Paul knew that the moment that you have that initial salvation, and you begin to walk with Jesus, excuse the expression, but all hell breaks loose. The reason for that is, it's, it's you know, in, in scripture it, it compares our growth to a plant. And oftentimes it's compared to trees. And if you take a, 
a, a tree. I have these trees that spring up in my flower beds and so forth. And usually I let them go to the point that I have to get a saw and cut them off. You know. But, but if, I, if I see them soon enough and I go in there, I can get a hold of it and I can pull it out by the roots. That's kind of how we are when we start in our Christian walk. We're, we're kind of like that, that little tree. Our, our roots aren't going very deep yet. That's when the attack of the enemy wants to come. That's when he wants to discourage us. That's when he wants, wants to make us feel hopeless, that there's, there's absolutely no way that I can achieve. There's no way that I, can, that, that I can do this. But the more that we continue in the Word of God, what happens is our roots begin to, begin to go deep, and, and we can no longer just be pulled up by the root. It takes more and more effort, and, and, and the, the, the longer we stay in the kingdom of God, the more we walk with Jesus, the, the, the more secure, the stronger we ought to become. But, but sometimes what happens is that means the attack is going to be greater too, and Paul recognizes this. You know, I remember when, when this came to light to me was years and years back when the, when the two Jimmys fell. And it tells you how many years back it was. Jimmy Swaggart and uh, Jim Baker. They both had humongous ministries, worldwide ministries, and everybody was looking to them, and they, they fell as a result of, of sexual sins and, and finances and so forth. And I remember being at a meeting with Brother Hagen, and Brother Hagen made this statement because it was all over the news. You know, I mean, all the religious whatevers were um, getting on the bandwagon to let everybody know how horrible and wicked and evil it was that these two men had fallen the way that they did. And, and uh, it was. But Brother Hagen made a tremendous statement in a, in a meeting that I was in. And he says, he says, are these men at fault? Yes. But he says, where does the real fault lie? He says, the real fault lies with us because we lifted them up on a pedestal that they weren't able to handle. And rather than pray for them, many, when they heard of the fall, rejoiced. You know, because we have this competitive jealousy in the kingdom of God. Paul didn't have any of that. And so what Paul was saying, when I see that you're moving forward, that you're growing spiritually, he says, I'm praying for you. I pray without ceasing. And why was he praying for them without ceasing? That they wouldn't fall, that they wouldn't be deceived, that they wouldn't be led astray, that they would continue in their spiritual growth. Because why, do, why are we to continue in our spiritual growth? Because as we bear fruit in our life, and we'll see this later on, as we bear fruit in our life, that's how we bring glory to God. Do you realize that your primary purpose in being is to bring God glory? It isn't to get wealthy, although God's not against you being wealthy. It isn't about you being healthy, although God's all for you being healthy. Our primary purpose in being is to bring God glory. And the way that we bring Him glory 
is not by walking around, you know, telling everybody how spiritual we are. It's as we walk around showing people how good God is. We do that by bearing fruit in our lives. And so verse 4, it says, Since we heard of your faith, since we heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints, because of the hope which was laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. Because of the hope, LPS, assurance, confidence. You know, oftentimes Christians that are confident or they have assurance, people around them interpret it as arrogance. It's not arrogant to be confident. It's not arrogant to be assured of what Jesus Christ has done for you. It's not arrogant for you to declare that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. That's confidence. That's having the assurance that what he said in his word, he is able to do. And not only is he able, but he will do it. And so he says, because of the hope, uh, assurance, confidence, which is laid up for you in heaven. One of the reasons that the Colossians had confidence, one of the reasons that they had a love for the saints, because they had a hope in the word of God. You know what? Without the word, you'll never have hope. There's, there's people that have sat in churches their entire life, but they've never experienced true hope in their life. They, they have no hope. They don't, you know, they're, they're as fearful of tomorrow as somebody that's in the world because they have no hope. They have no assurance. But we have hope. We have assurance because of what Jesus has done for us. Because of the hope which is laid up for us in heaven. They were taught the word of God. You know, Hebrews says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You know, and the reason that we have a hope and an assurance of heaven is because, not because we've seen it, but because we've read about it. Because we've seen it in the Word, and since we've seen it in the Word, we begin to, we, we have an, an assurance that has been made available to us. In Philippians 1.21, it says, Paul makes this statement. Why is he able to make this statement? He says, for to me, this is Paul speaking. He says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. In other words, what he's saying is, as long as I'm here on this earth, I'm going to have an abundant life. It's good. But it's even better when I get to heaven because I have the assurance of this etern eternal life. We have an assurance 
of eternal life. And so we don't have to fear tomorrow because God's going to take care of us here. But we don't have to fear the hereafter either because we know that to be absent from a body is to be present with the Lord. And so he's always there. And then it goes on and says, of which you heard, learned. So it isn't just a matter of hearing. We talk about not just hearing the word, but hearing the word. Faith cometh, cometh by hearing the word. It isn't just hearing the word, it's hearing the word. And what that means is learning the word, learning to realize it, it belongs to me, it's available to me, it's, it's for me. Of which you heard before the word of truth of the gospel. You know, because he heard, they heard the gospel, the truth of the gospel, that not only gave them the assurance for this life, but gave them the assurance for the life hereafter. And that comes about as we mature, as we continue in the Word. That's what the Word does for it. It, it brings us a level, <clears throat> um, the Scripture calls it perfection. But perfection is a, a, a really not a very good term there because, you know, perfect, we think, without fault or error. A better translation is we, we come to maturity. And even though we're mature, that means there's still room for growth. And so our, the maturing process in our life is going to be a continual process as long as we walk with Jesus. The Word is, is our past, present, and future. It's available to us. to, to it, 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 it took care of our past. It's all forgiven. It's here for our present. You know, um, Jesus is right here with us right now because he wants to meet every one of our needs and he wants to show us direction in, in our life and he's there for our future. And so we don't have to fear the future. We can have confidence in the future. We can have hope in the future uh, because of the promise that we have in the Word of God. And then we move on into verse 6. And it says, which has come to you as it is also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. And so breaking it down again, looking at it literally, it says, which has come to you, being present in your midst. That's coming to you. It's present in your midst. It's here right now available to you. You know, I, you, know you, you, you begin to talk about uh, healing and, and certain people will say, yeah, I know. You know, when, when Jesus comes, uh, when we meet him in the air, when we're in heaven, yeah, uh, healing will be available to all of us. We'll all be, we'll all be healed. There'll be no sickness, no disease. And I agree with all of that. But we don't have to wait till then. You know, it's, uh, it's available to us right now. You know, <clears throat> the Bible says that by the stripes of Jesus, we have been healed. Amen? Amen? The Bible says Jesus became poor that we might be rich. 
Amen. You know, it says concerning Jesus in the book of Acts, that Jesus Christ of Nazareth went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. And so any oppression that you're dealing with in your life is going to be taken, it's taken care of. Now people say, yeah, <clears throat> I know that, Pastor. Uh, that'll all be in manifestation when we go to heaven. And it will be. But, but guess what? I won't need healing in heaven because there's no sickness and disease there. I won't need prosperity in heaven because there's no lack and there's no need there. I don't need to be set free from oppression in heaven because in heaven there is no oppression. At least that's what I believe. I believe heaven is heavenly. <laughs> and so what's that for? It's for now. Because when we get to heaven, we don't need it. You know, so sometimes it, it fits into our theology. It fits into our doctrine better. But guess what? We're not to conform the doctrine to our belief system. We're to conform our belief system to the doctrine of the Word of God. And the doctrine of the Word of God says that by the stripes of Jesus, I have, past tense, been healed. That Jesus became poor so that, present tense, I might be rich. And so we choose, we need to choose to accept and believe what the Word of God says about every circumstance, every situation in life, which has come to you in, present in our midst right now, as it is also in all the world. In other words, it's, it's available to everybody. The gospel has come to, the, to Colossae through uh, those who heard Paul. In other words, their pastor heard Paul preach and they came back and they began to preach that same message. And what was the message? It says uh, the word of truth, the gospel, the gospel of grace. And so they began to preach that and as that was being preached, they were being set free. The gospel not only had to come to them, but had also infiltrated their cities, their villages, their entire known world. That's what, that's what the gospel will do. When we're carriers of the gospel, that gospel message infiltrates everything that we touch. And it's not like we've got to sit down and preach chapter and verse to everybody. But what happens is our life becomes a living testimony and things begin to change around us. I'm confident that if we will just simply walk out what the scripture says without saying a word, our environment begins to change. I've shared with you how when we've gone on some of our shopping marathons and you know, after a while my legs just can't take it anymore and neither can any other part of my body. But anyway, so you know, I remember one time I was sitting at Valley West and I sat in one of the couches and and everybody was just, you know, you know how people are when they're, you know, their shoulders are down. They just kind of walk around like this, you know. You could tell everybody was looking like I felt. And, and 
So I, I thought, you know, they, you know, I, I, I've heard about how we can affect our, our environment and so forth. So I, I thought I'm going to try something here. You know, and so I, I got up and I started walking around. And I put a smile on my face. And, you know, most people didn't see me because they were walking like this. But every once in a while, somebody would look up and I'd say, how you doing? And they'd go, okay. <laughs> you know, but I, but I noticed something. They, they started to have a smile on their face. We can, inf we can inflict, affect our environment. You know, and, but, but you know what? We've got to believe that we have the capability of doing that. You know, when I, when I, was, uh, when I was going to Bible school, um, Dan Dennison from St. Paul was in school as well, and he was a bricklayer for 25 years. And, and so... Uh, we decided rather than working for somebody, we'd start our own business. And so uh, we got some bricklaying jobs. And, and he, was, he was the bricklayer, and I was the hod carrier. And so uh, uh, we, we would, that, that's a rough job, let me tell you something. It's nothing like brick, plumbing. But, but so anyway, we, uh, um, we were doing these jobs. And he, he, he was talking about how when he was working in St. Paul, you know, that we called it the line syndrome. That when you were when he was working, he said usually on a line you'd have five bricklayers. You'd have three hod carriers that would supply the brick and the mortar um, to five um, bricklayers. And so they'd be laying brick all day together. And and he says, you know, when you'd get there in the morning, he says, usually everybody was in a pretty good mood, but there's always one that, you know, hated his life, hated his wife, hated his dog, hated everything. And he says he was always the one that got stuck in the middle. And so they, you'd be walk, working back and forth all day and, you know, and talking with one another. And he says, by, by lunchtime, the guys on either side of him hated their wife, hated their dog, hated their job, hated everything around them. And he says, by, by not time, by the time they went home, everybody is just chomping at the bit to get home to slap their wife and kick the dog, you know, because they, they just ha hated everything. Well, what, what happened was one, one individual created an environment. And you know what? We've allowed that to happen in our lives. We've allowed someone that's got a negative attitude about everything, hates everything, we've allowed them to uh, affect us as to how we, we live out our life. And what we need to do is we need to rise up and we need to begin to be vocal about the goodness of God and not allow that. Listen, as a Christian, you, you're, you weren't created to be a garbage can. You don't have to receive everybody's crap. You know, there's a certain time you have to shut your mind off to it and say, no, I'm not going to allow that junk into my being any longer. I've got to calm down here. I'm teaching tonight. We're not preaching. So, uh, but it's the truth. And so, you know, I believe that that's some of what he's talking about here, that they affected the world. Are we affecting our world in a positive way? Or is it because of our negativity, everybody else's negative? It ought to be because we have, we have, we have something to be positive about. I'm, I'm going to heaven. And I'm going to have a good time all the way there. 
Praise the Lord. And so, which has come to you as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit. Fruit always implies increase. Talking about increase. It's bearing fruit. The word of God is to bear fruit in our lives. It's to produce increase in our lives. And of course, we start talking about increase and immediately people think, you know, oh, he's talking about money again. What well, includes money, but it's every aspect, every area of our life, we ought to experience increase. The word sozo, salvation, when you, when you study it in the Greek, it's an all-inclusive word. It includes salvation from the standpoint of going to heaven, but it includes healing, it includes prosperity, it includes deliverance, and it includes it in all areas of your life, socially, economically, spiritually, emotionally. It touches every area of our life. And so we ought to be bearing fruit in every area of our life. In other words, I'm not getting weaker, I'm getting healthier. I'm, you know, <clears throat> you may argue with this, but my mind is stronger than it's ever been. You know, I may forget stuff, but it's stuff that I need to forget. Amen, come on, let's get in agreement here on this. You know, but it touches every area of our life. That's the gospel of grace, the gospel of the kingdom. And that's what's been made available to each and every one of us. Come back here, there we go. Um, and is bringing forth fruit increase as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew, knew, um, epigenisco, and it means understand. Since the day you understood, I heard the word and I heard the word, but there had to come a time where I understood that word. I understood that it was for me. I understood that it was available to me, and by faith, I could reach out and accept it. Understood, was revealed. You know, there's, there's times when, when you read the word and it's just like there's, almost like there's a veil over your eyes. It's, it's just like you're going through the motions. I know I'm, you know, probably the only one that ever goes through that. But there's times, you know, you're just, you're just reading it to be reading it. But then all at once it's like the veil's lifted. And my goodness, you begin to see stuff in scripture, in, in, in that particular scripture that you'd never seen before. That's what it's talking about. It's being revealed. That's why we... We, we continually read the Word. Even when it feels like you're just going through the motions, you read the Word because it's going to be revealed. The, the veil is lifted and you begin to see. And it may not be, you know, some huge revelation. You know, I mean, I've had people come up to me and they said, Pastor, I got to share this with you. This is so good. You know, and they, 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 they open their Bible and they, they read this verse to me and they say, man, isn't that good? I said, yeah, that's fantastic. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, I have preached on that verse 455 times. Why did it take till now for you to get it? Because the veil was lifted. And it wasn't even from one of my messages. They were just reading it. That's why it's important. And so, um, and it's being bringing forth fruit 
It is also, and it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. The grace of God in truth. I mean, that is, holy cow. This is going to take us four months. We've got a few moments yet. Grace is this unbelievable stabilizer in your life. If your life seems to be out of control, you need to reach out and you need to get a hold of the grace of God. Notice what he said here. He says, well, let me read it right out of the, the scripture which has come to you as it is also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard or received or understood and knew the grace of God. The grace of God. The change that it brings about in our lives. Verse 7, as you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. The literal as, even as. Even as you also learned. Menthoneo. Comprehend. We need to we need to comprehend. I used to sit in church. The only thing that I comprehended was when I was supposed to be quiet. When I was supposed to stand up, when I was supposed to sit down. The church that we started in Wapaka, Wisconsin, we'd been there, we, we were there two years. But there's this couple that came over from one of the denominations and after they had been coming for a while, they, they knew they needed to make a decision if they were gonna join the church or you know, go back to the one they had come from. And so they had um, some younger children. So they asked their one daughter, they said, so which church do you prefer going to? And she says, well, I like our, our church up there was uh, New Life Fellowship. I like, I like New Life Fellowship. And says, well, why do you like New Life Fellowship? And she says, because I can go to church and I don't have to be afraid that I'm going to do something wrong. I thought, you know what? That's what I grew up with. And we wonder why kids think that God's ticked off at them because they go through the entire service growing up being fearful that they're going to do something wrong. Rather than knowing that they're right with God and that God loves them, they're, they're constantly fearful of whether or not they're going to do something wrong. And the thing about it is, we don't ever outgrow it. We've got people in, in, in churches in our community that, that on a Sunday morning, it's no wonder people choose to sleep in. Why should I go to church and, 
and feel stressed out through the whole thing as to whether or not I'm going to do something wrong or, 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 or whatever. Because they're, they're, not, they're not getting uh, learning anything. They're not getting a hold of what, what I say. They're not comprehending anything because they're so distracted with everything else. Well, hopefully what we do is we, you know, we, we do away with some of the distractions so that we can, we can focus on the Word of God and allow Him to speak to us. As you have learned, comprehended from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, Sandulos, servant of the same master. I had a brother-in-law. He had this great revelation that he shared with me one time. He says, you know, I believe that it really doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe something. Since I've comprehend, did, I've come to the realization that's probably one of the stupidest statements that I've ever heard in my entire life. Because if that were the case, we would be sitting here tonight. I don't know how many are in here, but with 25 different masters. We would not have the same master. We wouldn't be co-servants of a loving Heavenly Father. We would be fragmented. And he's talking about the church in Colossae that they, they serve the same master. And he's talking about their pastor. And Paul's saying, we're serving the same master who is keeping on being, who is, in other words, keeping, uh, keeps on being a faithful minister. Their pastor continued to be a faithful minister. Deaconos, teacher and pastor, servant, deacon, minister of Christ on your behalf. In other words, he's, he's there to serve. We're here to serve, not be served. And so here he, he begins to talk about their passion. Like I said earlier, he, you know, Paul talks about him from the standpoint that he, he continued to teach him the word and he, he stayed true to the fun, fundamentals. You know, Peter said, uh, in Peter he said, <clears throat> Mrs. Schroeder's paraphrase, because I'm not going to turn to it right now and I don't know if I even could if I wanted to, but Peter said, basically, this is Schroeder's paraphrase, I'm basically called to remind you of these basic truths. This is truth. Hopefully, each and every one of us continuously read through this scripture. And as a pastor, about all that I can do is continually remind you of these truths. I found something out after 35 years of preaching. There's only, really only about five or six messages. <laughs> and so you have to find another way to bring out that message. But really, there, there is, that's, that's what it's all about. Because What's the point of teaching something way out there that's not going to apply to your everyday life? My belief 
as far as the gospel is concerned, if I can't apply it to my daily life, what good is it? And so we will always make an attempt to make it life relevant. Well, I'm not done, but I gotta quit. Um, keep these notes um, because I guess we'll have to pick up here next week and uh, I'm going to be determined to stick to the notes and we'll get through a, well, maybe. So anyway, uh, be blessed in Jesus' name and have a great wet rest of the week and we'll see you Sunday if not before and go Rams.